Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. Right here in your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. The Mensa brothers joined me this morning. And um, uh, we talk about investigations. We, um, one of the things, we talk about investigations. We talk about uh, the Biden administration's uh, Secretary of State bumped into the Chinese last week. And uh, pretty bumpy ride, so we'll talk about that. And then uh, I asked Mike Etor a question that I'll pose to the Mensa brothers, and that is, do you think that the United States military and the nation is on a path to be able to confront China and win? So you'll hear their their answers about that. Um what else is going on? I've been busy, so not much. <laughs> that uh, that has been uh, that has uh, consumed my life. The um, the North Koreans fired a ballistic missile, so we're gonna get that going again. Yeah, that's exciting, right? The um, so. I will get out of the way and uh, get the Mensa brothers in here and allow them to do their thing and rescue the program. So good morning to you on this 25th day of March. Hope you have a good day. And um, the uh, the United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is dedicated uh, to the Benson brothers. Yeah. For an interesting conversation. Well done, boys. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Time to check the weather around Marineland. Currently cloudy at 58 in Quantico. It's warmed up on the east coast. Down the coast in North Carolina, Camp Lejeune. Partly sunny in 69. Yikes. That's warm. 29 Palms. Partly sunny in 52. Camp Pendleton. It is partly sunny in 50. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy and 73. Okinawa, dark cloudy, 69. Darwin. Dark cloudy in 81. Oslo, late in the day, partly sunny and 40 degrees. Currently at the home of Almerin Radio, mostly cloudy and 53 degrees with a gale warning yeah today we're supposed to not have good weather it's been nice but today's not supposed to be not so nice yeah looking for a high today at 58 degrees with a 16 percent chance of rain 
Tomorrow, 63 in partly sunny skies. Saturday, 71. Sunday, 76. Monday, 70. That's what I'm talking about. That is a look at your weather. The, um... Yeah, let me get rid of this music. The, um... Last night, we recorded the segment you're about to hear. And, uh... After, uh... We got done um, um, doing the segment. Um, every one of those three guys separately, uh, kind of interesting, uh, contacted me and said, Hey, you know, in this discussion, make sure everybody knows that, you know, there's no doubt in our mind that the young people that, that man the American military are capable of doing anything. And so in 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 each of, you know, Will, Tim and, and Jeff, you know, all reflecting on our discussions and uh as we talk about confronting China, it's it's not young Americans that are the issue. It's the leadership of our services. It's the leadership of the DOD that's the issue. So so I wanna I wanna make I wanna emphatically Right, state that point. Young Americans are capable of anything, and if you watch them around the world, like we have, you know that. Okay, that's not the question here. The question here is not, you know, will will young Americans serve? Will they fight? You know, are they courageous? Will they die? That's not a question. The question is how they're led how they're trained. Okay? That's the question in all of this. So, uh, with that thoroughly punctuated, right, that every one of us has incredible respect for the young people of this country and what they're capable of. Okay? So, with that said, I'd like to introduce you to the Mensa Brothers. Here on a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Like our chicken and cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. And the radio. But like to see the song Texas music for Timmy. Actually, he's from Georgia. And no mother's love. Get your little chicken fry. And cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. Alright, so if it's Thursday. Uh, the Mensa brothers are with us uh, from McAllen, Texas. Tim Lynch. Timmy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mac. Yourself? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. From uh, northwestern uh, Kansas, Will Costantini joins us. Will? Northeastern Kansas. I knew that. Just wanted to make sure you are paying attention. And from uh, eastern California, Jeff Kenny joins us. Uh, <laughs> Jeff? Uh... Eastern California. <laughs> South, <laughs> southeastern California. I'm good. Cal- Southeastern <laughs> California. The um okay, so let's uh who's had their COVID shot? Tim? 
Negative. I'm uh, I'm I'm waiting for somebody else that's more deserving to take mine. I'll I'll, I'll wait. Thank you, Jeffrey. Not me. I there's this lady in a wheelchair in front of me. I pushed it out of the way and I got my shot. You bet you. I got both of them. <laughs> so you got both? Did you get sick on the second shot? Um, I got the chills. What does that mean? And, uh, I mean, you know, at night when you get the chills and you wrap up and you sweat it out. I had that for both shots. That was it though. I was really? good otherwise. That's not because you stopped drinking? It's is what are those called? The DTs or something? I ascribe a lot of uh, strange <laughs> symptoms I have to either not drinking or breaking my not drinking pledge, and then <laughs> and then, and then you have I'm not used to it anymore. So you know, but uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think we all commented. Jeff like is turning back the hands of clock. If you look at him, he looks. Uh, what's that guy's name whose who's name you always screw He looks up? like he's not a day under 70. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but he used to look like he was 90, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. He looks like he did when he's a captain. His hair is just grayer, that's all. Yes, yeah, my hair is gray. Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> right. Will, have you got your shot? I had shot one. Shot two on April 9th. And uh, did you have any reaction to it? Yeah, I did, actually. I had, like, a degree of fever and chills and body aches the day after. But I, I, I guess that if you've had COVID and get the shot, they say you should expect that. And if you get the second shot, I got the Moderna one. They say the second one's supposed to be worse. So, I mean, it was one day just sort of feeling not very good. Then it was over. I got both. And I had no reaction to either one, which makes me question whether they actually gave me the actual, you know, serum or not. <laughs> Maybe this yeah, like, you might be you might be part of the control group. Yeah, they just yeah, gave me loaded guys, me up yeah. with Mountain Dew and that syringe. <laughs> the um, the uh, all right. I want to talk about investigations. Um, somebody who we all know, uh, Colonel Chris Bronzy, uh, CEO of the Fifteenth Mew, was relieved. Um, an incident with uh, his battalion landing team off the coast of California last July, in which eight Marines and a sailor were killed. Um, and then there's the, also the investigation of the Bonhomme Richard, um, which, uh, which ought to be coming, I would imagine, uh, out sometime in the not-too-distant future. I want to talk about the process. I want to talk about uh, investigating officers. I want, uh, I want to talk about you know, what you guys look for in, uh, in, in these kind of investigations. And, you know, we, um, you've seen some investigations – where you know whoever's in charge is pissed because general officers get relieved. And then you see others where nobody gets touched above the rank of colonel. Um, And so um, I I just want to talk about the investigative process. Um, Who's got, out of all of us, who has the most experience with investigations? Jeff's probably. I think Jeff's been investigated the most. But Will, I mean, don't you have, don't you have the the? No, I, I've only done maybe two or three. But as a battalion commander, you know, you, you was I assigned fifty, right? Maybe got him. You know, in Iraq in particular, anytime you lose a, a significant item, or someone gets hurt, a non-battle casualty that you lose twenty-four right. hours, right. or in the rear, if someone gets hurt. Um. So I assigned and read a whole lot of them, um, yeah. and I read a whole lot of them up at uh, headquarters. Um, yeah. But I only did maybe two or three when I was a lieutenant. All right. Let's talk about the process then. 
Um, uh, so an incident happens. Um, the investigating officer, where that officer comes from, uh, the organization they come from, uh, and the rank they are, is that significant? You know, for for the routine stuff of which 90 plus percent of investigations are about, right? right. A Marine gets hurt and loses 24 hours of duty. You lose a, a item of equipment or you suffer damage to a piece of equipment that exceeds a certain threshold. Um, you know, smart commanders are going to just assign a competent person. They're going to require that it be done by the deadlines and that it's completely transparent because in the end, a lot of shit happens. And the way you get in trouble as a commander is if you put undue influence in that and try and direct things. I don't think those are the investigations we're talking about here. We're talking big stuff on the news that is, uh, uh, you know, has uh, four star level, visibility kind of a thing um and and there you would hope that the same rules would apply um but they don't right clearly they don't yeah and i'm just trying to well i have to tell you this and so so let me just let me just compare and contrast this and then jeff you can you can hop in but you know investigations and will um I'll aim this at you because you have the, the, the most pertinent experience working where you work for the commandant. Um, when when you roll out a, a, a class A mishap like this, where you have a, where you have loss of life in this case, uh, eight Marines and a sailor lost their lives. I mean, this is coordinated through the commandant, right? I mean, this is a multi. I mean, the PAOs have to be in on it. Headquarters Marine Corps got to be in on it. Right, you know the choreography of this, you know, rolling it out to the parents, you know, and all of this stuff. It's 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 not a small deal, right? It's a big deal. Yeah, I would say not the investigation. No, no. But the post investigation, um, you know, something of this magnitude, absolutely, because you know the commandant is going to go up there and answer to Congress about it. The commandant also. You know, he he has the weight of the Marine Corps and and everything that that means on his shoulders. And one of his jobs is to make sure that we do things the right way. And that means you put together the briefing team that can take the three-inch thick investigation and go bring it to people's next of kin, show them what we did. Uh, and I, I'm sure that when this thing comes out, yeah, there'll be a there'll be a statement. That's going to go out, and I, I think I saw in the news that uh, General Thomas, the ACMAC, was up on the hill and got questioned about this, and he said he wasn't going to say anything about it until the investigation came out. So it's obvious that they're going to go brief uh, pertinent members of the HASC and the SASC, and maybe congressmen of the districts where these Marines lived. So all of that stuff will be coming out of the headquarters. But, but I wouldn't. I don't want anyone to conflate the idea that because all that stuff's going on, somehow people in headquarters of Marine Corps are directing how this investigation is going to go and what's going to happen. That that would be. Well, no, but I, I use that to illustrate your point in that this is not a normal. No. 
Not at all. This the, is not this, the level of visibility. The level of visibility, right? You know, yeah, everybody this stuff knows. Happens when it happened when the Osprey crashed. Right. It happened yeah. when Rother got. You know, well, right. I mean, it no, just happened when when the F-18s clipped each other, right? The, you know, well, the the F-18 and the KC-130. Yeah, this is a this is a, a a once a year, once every couple of years when you have a significant loss of life, um, or a particularly egregious loss of life, like Rother. Right. Um, right. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Rother Marine. Um, essentially forgotten in the desert and dies in the desert um, as he tries to as he tries to walk to um, you know the lights he saw on the distance and the the story's horrible on uh, the way he dies and uh, <laughs> so Lance Corporal Jason Rother um, and uh, and I think it's still part of the brief that everybody that goes out there gets before you you start working in the desert. Um, so, so the process is investigating, yeah. investigating officer named, um, investigation conducted with covering everybody, right? And and so, um, in this case, um, a marine colonel gets appointed um, from a from the MEF. Is that yeah. where, is that where he? So, so well, one, no, actually, uh, he's actually works for TCOM. Um, so it comes when he, he was, he works for TCOM technically now, but, uh, he had been working, he had been in the MEF. Uh, so he was gone. So he, does he gets brought back to the MEF to do the investigation? No, I th- I'm not really sure on that. Because, because, so who initiates the command investigation? No, it's got, it's gotta be the MEF. That's, that's it's the MEF who initiates right. it. But here's the thing about, uh, these incidents, they're not uncommon at all. And because uh, uh, I was in as a participant in MU, four MU PTPs, and then as the uh, director of the Expeditionary Operations Training Group, I ran five PTPs. And we had loss of life uh, in at least two of those that I ran as, uh, you know, as the uh, evaluator. And then uh, I can't tell how many during uh, our workups and stuff. But it's not uncommon to have people killed. What is uncommon is to have people drowned in AVs. That's like the Rother yeah. thing and that it gets everybody's attention because it's in a, it's like on one hand you can count the number of times in my memory of 40 plus years that that ever happened. And this was the worst one as far as numbers. Normally, it's an aircraft that goes down and large groups of people get killed or there's a collision. And I mean, we can go on and then there's an investigation and stuff like that and uh it's usually looked at as like the price of doing business. With this, you know, this was uh, different. And I'll tell you what else was different about it because I'm, I'm I work actually for that for the West Coast version of the unit I ran on the East Coast. And um, during their PTP, there was things we couldn't do with them because of the COVID, um, you know, the COVID phenomenon, which caused a lot of uh, you know sudden quarantines. And strange rules that uh, we had to abide by because not only do we have the Marine stipulations, but you also had the Navy because they, were, they had come together to make an amphibious unit. And uh, so consequently, a lot of stuff that was usually happens with units before they're certified to go forth on a Marine Expeditionary Unit didn't happen with these folks. 
it was a huge, uh, you know, it was a huge um, anomaly from anything I'd ever seen before. Okay. And right in the middle of it, this thing happened. Okay. The and, um, uh, now just so, for the, just so everybody knows, I mean, the investigation is out yet, right? And so I guess we will we will all learn more, but we've all heard, you know, different things, and people have shared different things. But I I, I want to focus on process. So, is it significant the rank of the investigating officer? It, it's it's not supposed to be, but you can't tell me if. If you're sitting there watching an investigation officer be appointed, they're appointing a two-star with a little bit of a reputation, as most two-stars have. That means that they're sensitive there's something there. You appoint a colonel that's equivalent of the new commander, it seems like you're sensing there's nothing there. We're just doing a routine a routine investigation on a, on a fatality that we all know is not routine at all for the reasons that Jeff just brought out. I'm amazed that they sent a colonel. I have to tell you, uh, I think a colonel, it's not unusual for them to still use colonels, even if it is. When uh, the thing at Ganjigal happened, we have four Marine, or three Marines and a corpsman killed because of a lack of support that was all planned on everything from the Army. I don't want to go through all that, but that was a huge and, problem. And just so everybody they knows, have, this, is the incident, this is the incident where Dakota Myers would be awarded his Medal of Honor. But in between that, the incident happened, and that was uh, an investigation. And two colonels they did for that because it was an Army area, but these were Marine advisor teams. And uh, so you had a Marine colonel and you had an Army colonel who did the investigation of uh, you know what happened there. And didn't yeah, I don't for the Army at all. But uh, people were watching. I mean, people were really watching heavy. General Scaparotti was the, uh, the CG of that area. I mean, he came close to breathing down their necks, you know. And not only that, you had uh, other people who were interested. General Dunford was the MEF, one MEF at that time. He came to us. He came and saw those guys. He visited us, you know. Actually, I don't know if he saw them, but he saw us right there at where it happened. And, uh, and General Neller, who was 3rd Mardiv, he was uh, in constant, you know, contact with uh, – like General Yu was our senior advisor then and all that stuff. So it was uh, it was still those colonels, but there was a lot of attention. So I think I, I've never heard really of um, – and I'm, it just doesn't mean it, didn't, it doesn't happen. I've never heard of a general being made the investigating officer. Yeah, I'm sure yeah I don't – I was going to say I'm really thinking hard. We didn't have uh, – well, they had a few in, in, in Afghanistan, but we're, we're not talking Marines. I might yeah, have been. Well, no, but I mean, so the last time General relieved uh, for was Afghanistan at Leatherneck, the airfield thing. And yeah. do you remember, do you guys know who the investigating officer? I don't what, know. What rank? I don't either. I don't I know, man. I, I, I thought know. it was those guys. I mean, all those gen, General Gerganis and General Sturdivant, I got there right after that happened because I got. I was in Manus, and I was delayed getting in because of the, the uh, airfield that uh, Bastion was shut down because the attack that destroyed the Ospreys, killed the CO and one of his sergeants. And um, But they stayed. They were there till the next calendar year. So it, it was similar, I guess, in that um, the CO of the MU went, f- went on deployment with these guys, and this incident happened eight months ago, and, and the MU CO was, uh, and was relieved couple days ago so yeah, I, I don't 
it's weird or or what. It just it takes a long time. I read that one from Bastion, and I I don't remember who wrote it. Got yeah, it. I really Got don't. It. Got it. All right. Um, so in investigations like this, um, you know, tell what do you look to see? Do you, do you go immediately to findings of facts? Um, no, for, no. for people, so you got to find material readiness, yes. training readiness. No, no, no. The in the investigation, when the investigation is published, and and, oh. and and you and you and you take a look at it, what what do you? Is there some place that you you, you go first? You, you know, as a CEO, when you're getting those things, you got to read them. Right, the whole thing from first word to last word because right. you own it. Right. Um, I know that one in Bastion was pretty thick. It sat on my desk for a few days and I had to read the whole thing. Um, cause I know I discussed, I'm pretty sure I discussed with general Dumford after that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think if you've got to adjudicate anything, you've got to read the whole thing. Even right. after it's been read by 17,000 other people, cause you own it. Right. If you're the, if you're the CG. Right. 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 All right. Jeff, right. Tim, no, I'm I'm with Will on, on that one. I, I've only done about three or four of these things. I, I was never a commander at the battalion level, obviously. But I, I I will have to say this. Whenever you look at these things, there's a totality of, of you got to look at the entire picture. You were hitting at it when you first started talking about what was the readiness, what are the SOPs. What are, they're very comprehensive, and it can be done in a very boring way, um, you know. I personally prefer guys that do a, uh, that get appointed to do these investigations be creative writers like myself, because at least it can be fun to read. But, but <laughs> goddamn, those things are very, very difficult to do. Yeah, and they're detailed. Tedious. With something like this, right away, you're looking at two things, like uh, because there's drowning involved, you're looking at training level of the Marines and were the were the requirements that are set in SOPs, MEF SOPs. Were they met before that unit was able to join the MU and do that type of training? Did they have the proper training? So, Number so you guys is so you guys is MU guys now, or you yeah. know, when you're you're looking at this investigation and yeah. and and accepting what Will says is that you know, read yeah, it from cover to cover. But what what would you guys focus on? And then the next thing is besides the material readiness. Or besides the uh, you know the personal readiness of the of the Marines, is the is the material readiness of the equipment? Is the, were those AAVs were they up to snuff? Were they you know at, were they uh, at the at the proper you know uh, level to be used? Were okay. they any of them deadlined? Okay. You know was there were there procedures that are also written? I'd say almost like written in stone. As far as uh, the way you do these amphibious ops, the, the safety so concerns the, the, you take. The, tra yeah. the training, the training and safety pieces, then on top of men, material, training, safety, all those. I think what you're asking, Mac, is what I think what you're interested in in the commander is, is where did people apply judgment, right? The SOP says X, Y, Z. Someone applied judgment and said X. Z, Y. And is that reasonable, thoughtful? Did it meet the conditions or not? Right. Um, you know, a complete hypothetical example. 
helicopter goes down, Marines drown from the Mew. Did they all go to Hilo Dunker training? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to go to Hilo Dunker training. But you know what? Not everyone goes to Hilo Dunker training. Yeah. And I'm talking old days. I have no idea about now. In fact, some units, of which I was a member, purposely avoided Hilo Dunker training and assumed risk. So is that a reasonable risk to assume? I think those are things that are interesting to the commander to see where subordinates understood what are SOPs and decided to go against them. And very often there's a really good reason to go against that SOP. Other SOPs, particularly ones where commander said, this is a red line, you know, don't cross a red line. Nothing I can do for you. Nothing I will do for you, except send you to jail if you cross a red line. Other things are we hire people. We expect them to use their best judgment on the scene. If people are ignorant of the SOPs, that's another interesting thing to the commander because it tells you something about yourself as well. And that's why I brought up the part about COVID because the COVID yeah. was such a phenomenon that people just kind of – uh, and not just in the Marine Corps and not just in, you know, in amphibious ops, but every people just kind of blew off their responsibilities as far as their jobs and stuff in a lot of cases. Well, and, this, and, and let, me, let that, me throw know. let me throw one more thing in there, Jeff. Um, and this has to do with, you know, West Coast units and some East Coast units. But, you know, the operations on the border. Right. The operations on the border required units to come out of their training cycle, deploy to the border, spend time down there that they normally would have been doing XYZ training and then come back. And, and then, then you had COVID on top of that and the limited opportunity. So um, there were, I mean, there were training anomalies or have been over the course of the last year. Um, no, I don't for know. Sure. You're absolutely right. Okay, but, you know, but this uh, happened to us in the nineties with uh, with the Cuba when when the, the Haitians and the Cubans, um, the the the, the sec, Clinton's second inauguration when they flooded the uh, the Caribbean and we had to put them over there. Yeah, in the, what was in the, it? What was it? Mo. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Will and you guys went down with shampooing the migrants. I was in one eight. <laughs> we were we were sent out to CACs early without hardly any of the battalion with us. I mean, we just like it's like, hey, you go out with uh, with six weeks of CACs. We went to Okinawa six months ahead of our UDP time because the other the battalion supposed to go was tied up in Cuba with shampoo and migrants. So it's happened before. When we deployed to Okinawa, we didn't have shit as far as what we were supposed to have. And guess who the CG was? Bice. Holy shit, man. And I was a three, too. And, and it, was, uh, it was very unpleasant. But that's it. And so there, but for the grace of God, go us. Although we weren't doing anything like ship to shore movements, we're just UDPing. But uh, there, but for the grace of God, goes us because we weren't qualified to do a goddamn thing. Well, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. I, I tell you, when uh, when I was a three and one two, uh, we had a company that was with the uh, interim chem bio unit. We had a company that was uh, in Panama. We had a company at home, which was naked, because we had two companies mm-hmm. deployed, so we had to fill that other company up. Uh, 3-8 was supposed to go to CACs. They got pulled and went to Liberia. We were supposed to go to Bridgeport, and instead we went to CACs. We found out we were going to go to CACs about three weeks before we left. We joined two of those companies a week before we went to CACs, and we got out to CACs, 
and uh, um, I've had a few proud moments in the Marine Corps, not very many, but one of them was telling the Coyotes, hey, you want to crawl, walk, run? All right. We're still wriggling around on our back. We don't know how to crawl. And, uh, you know, the Coyote 6 there was high stress and the battalion commander at the breach, which is a complicated evolution. And, uh, you know, General Sattler intercepted me before I got involved in that conversation. Um, And they had just killed someone in 1-6 two weeks before. And I said, I'll be goddamned if we're going to do that. We know that we're not ready to do this. Mm. We're actually here to learn and train. And that's um, the thing. It's like, if you're in one of those situations where it's some, there's what the Marine Corps perceives or the National Command Authority perceives an emergency, screws up all these things that we're supposed to do before we deploy you know, to a place, either Okinawa or on a Mew or something like that at a certain level, if something happens and you lose people or you don't accomplish your mission or there's something big like the uh, like this thing that just happened and you lose people, then, uh, you know, the excuses, they don't matter. I mean, they should matter. People should say, hey, look, we fucked these guys. We didn't let them get ready for this. And that's why they lost these people. And the reason we did is because we're worried about this other situation over here, which really turned out to be not that big of a problem. But that's why we did it then. None of them are ever gonna, and that's this is the and, and, and even if things are something like that, even I mean, if things are going well, in the Marine Corps, I think is to have bad luck. It, yeah, that's true. Because even when things are going well, I had a hundred percent of my platoon when I was a platoon commander through the helo dunker three months before we deployed. When I deployed, seventy-five percent of my Marines had been through the helo dunker because I got plussed up right before we left. Now. If, if it was my guys on that AAV, let's say, and the helo dunker was somehow tied to that, I'm the asshole because I didn't have all my guys as I was supposed to have them through the helo dunker, through no fault of my own. Oh. But you're going to take that hit as a, as, a, as a lieutenant because that happens. I, I'm fucking a little bit livid about this uh, bullshit. Yeah, I, I would say that, yeah, that if there's a bunch of extenuating circumstances such as equipment readiness across a unit is poor because of a bunch of things. You have to accept equipment. Uh, Training readiness is low because uh, service mandated quarantines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then you're given a a requirement to meet certain training objectives. Although you have some substandard equipment and some, some substandard training in advance, you attempt to, inform a chain of command of that and then you do what you're told and when you do what you're told and things go wrong what's supposed to happen is someone's supposed to be a man and steps in there and says enough and it's not clear that that's going to happen in this case it's hard for me to believe and again i haven't read the the investigation i know chris bronzy less than at least two of you do um I mean, you know, your son's going to join the Marine Corps and go into uh, who do you want for your platoon commander, company commander, battalion commander, mute commander, regimental commander. Bronze. You hope it's a bunch of guys just like him. Yep. So. Hey, I, I only met Bronzy at, at uh, um, with with Mac and, and, and General Furness out there at Dwyer. And I, and I always remember when we were young, he always told us, you know, never miss an opportunity not to talk in front of a general. And I was talking to Bronzy and I'm excuse me, talking to Mac and Dave and and those guys for two or three days. 
Fonzie never said a word to me. That's a smart kid. <laughs> I loved it. He never said a word. He just sat there and grinned and whatnot. And I'm telling you, that's that's gene, pure genius right there because he knew better. <laughs> I, I just hate. I hate. I I hate to see somebody who I feel is good for the core, not yeah. just so, not just because I like him, because I think the Marine he Corps a, needs him. He was an IOC yeah. instructor. He worked for me. I know. IOC and but before that, when he was a second lieutenant, he checked in. To my to weapons company because all the rifle platoons were taken, and I remember the one conversation I had with him. I said, "Hey, look, man, I wish for your sake you had a rifle platoon because that's the natural progression of things. But you can still—I I know a couple guys who did all their lieutenant time in weapons company, and they're great guys. Uh, Joe Latwell, you know, um, he's one of them. You know, I mentioned a couple other guys, and and uh, and I said, you know, the guy really." The guy who really, um, who I know, you know, who really expounded on the capabilities of weapons companies, this guy, uh, you probably don't know him. I said, you, you know, is this guy Paul Kennedy, who is a fellow instructor with me. Well, by sheer, you know, fate, he ends up as one of Paul Kennedy's company commanders in 2-4, where he gets the Silver Star. And for that period, he gets the Leftwich Trophy. And, uh, you know, he's a gutsy kid. You know, he's a smart kid. He's the type of guy who will just shut his mouth and take this. And, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah. and uh, you know, because he's thinking about the Marine Corps above himself, you know. I met him at Combat Outpost. Um, General Kelly was headed out there one day. And uh, he told me, he said, hey, Paul, Paul Kennedy and I are friends. I mean, we're buddies. And uh, he said, hey, I think Kennedy's going to be out there. You want to go see him? And I said, I don't know if I could go, if Colonel Dunford will let me go. And uh, so I went out there, and uh, I see Paul Kennedy goes, hey, you got to meet you got to meet one of my company commanders. Um, he's, he's a great guy. He said, you'll love him. His name's Chris Bronzi. And I meet him there, and then we deploy together to Hellman um, in 2010. So Chris and I are battle buddies times two. And let me just say, I mean, he's, um, if, you, if you ask me, Mac, give me the two or three best Marines that you know. You know, Chris Bronze, he's on that list. I mean, he's that guy. He's my sons idolize him. You know, Joker Six. And uh and uh but you know, again, I think we all we come in the Marine Corps and you know, those sobering words when you hear them, right? Everything your unit does and or fails to do. And so again, I and, and I think we get it. Right? Something bad happens and he was a mute commander and I get that. Now my question is, and, and I haven't seen the investigation either, is the same standard gonna be applied to other people? Right, exactly. right, and that's and that's what yeah. and that's what I'm interested in seeing. So if you know if if that standard is applied to Chris Bronzy, then I, I again I just hope it's applied to other people who had a responsibility. Whether you were whether your job was to train units, whether your job was to supply units and equipment, I hope the same standards apply. And that's what pisses me off about these things is that you know that that they tend not to be applied. And uh, and so we'll see we'll see what happens when the investigation comes out, but. I just want to kick that around a little bit because, you know, that and, you know, the investigation into the Bonhomme Richard. How many billion dollars is that ship? Five? Uh, Two and change, three and change. Yeah. 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 Well, in the, the F-35 upgrade, probably a couple more billion. Right. That was the best ship I was ever on. That was even better, if you can believe it, than the Spartanburg County. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the best ship I was ever on in 2004, 2005. No, the best ship you were ever on was Whidbey Island when I was CO. Oh, troops. when I visited you. Well, yeah, when I was evaluating That you. was a great ship. <laughs> wow. The, um, 
corruption. I was uh, I was a fucking fifth column agent for Will on his sock act. <laughs> I'll admit it now, but you know, hey, Will, uh, I think I hear fucking vehicles coming. <laughs> yeah. Let me. I want to switch gears. Um, uh, the Biden administration uh, has had its first meeting um, uh, with the Chinese. And uh, curious, uh, um, I mean, partly encouraging in terms of the tone they struck, right? That they didn't go back to Obama and Bush previous, you know, stances, it appears. I, I guess we will see as, as they go down the road together. But your thoughts on what was a pretty contentious meeting, Timmy? Well, I, uh, I had prophesied, I think, or predicted that we're going to see lots of things that are amusing. And few things are more amusing, sort of amusing, than watching the Secretary of State sit there looking flummoxed as the Chinese beat him about the head and shoulders with Black Lives Matter rhetoric and mentioning, of course, the uh, pervasive discrimination against Chinese Americans at our elite universities, et cetera, hoisting us on our own batard, I thought it was. And it just kind of reminded me of the reset with Russia, you know? Back last time we had this go around with the Democrats, we had a reset with Putin and Putin took the button that was misspelled and he promptly started invading countries and and uh, demanding that we remove our our our, uh, our rockets, which we did and uh, turned in to be pretty much of a big old pain in our ass. I think China's going to be a big pain in our ass, too. And I don't think I, I, I think they're encouraged. I mean, the guy's supposed to talk for two. He bitches at our secretary of state for talking six seconds over two minutes. And then he talks for 24 minutes, and we don't say shit. He should have walked out. I, I, it's a shame as an American to see that, but I'm uh, I'm amused as a uh, as a Trump supporter. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. The um, Jeff, Will, did you guys watch that? I did not. I did yeah, not. I did. I did not watch that. But I could you footnote the button was misspelled. Reset? Oh, yeah, the reset yeah, yeah. button. When Hillary gave her the great reset button, that was misspelled. It didn't say reset. It said it said something. I think it was some kind of sl- cuss word slang or something. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I I'm thought yeah. Carter was bad. You know, yeah, look it, was, it up. It was misspelled. Yeah. Reset you was know, misspelled? The reset was misspelled. Yeah, they, you know, these people do this stuff. Um, like uh, Jimmy Carter, you know, he always wanted to say something. He'd go visit these countries, and he'd want to say something in their language. So <laughs> he goes to uh, Poland, and he wants to know. He wants. He tells his people they get a Polish Taji man up there and says, "Look, tell me how to say I love Polish people. Even everyone, the old men, the old women, the young girls, the young." <laughs> so. The guy tells him what he says. Basically, he used a, euf- a, a you know form of the verb that means I want to like have sex with all the old, <laughs> old ladies and the and people. The poles are like slapping in their hands and shit. <laughs> then he goes to Mexico and in Spanish he says, "I'm so glad to be in Mexico City. I hope I don't get Montezuma's revenge." So they're all <laughs> clap and they stop right away. <laughs> he was so bad like that. But this kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, these guys are so sure that uh, to me that party, the Democrat Party, is totally focused on domestic issues. Even when they're talking about foreign issues, how will this affect the domestic issues? So this, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, the whole you know cancel culture stuff, the whole uh, you know um, 
all this crap that's been going on, how they got elected and everything. It got, they like you said to me, they got hoisted on their own petard. Well, and, uh, the other thing I think is an upshot from it, just in history, we're, these guys hey, are going to push can, us. Jeff, can, can, can you explain to everybody what a petard is? A petard, I think. For those a, not as literate as you and Tim. It's a petard is a, it's a post. It's like a post with a point on it. And hoist it on your own petard. A petard is, is also, it's a, it's a torch. You set it on fire. So the French used to hoist people during the French Revolution on the petards. And it was kind of like a, you know, a Vlad the Impaler type thing. <laughs> the, the petard was, was, was fitted to your anus. And you're hoisted on that. So when someone says hoisted on your own petard, you're such an idiot that you've uh, you've made your, you've used your own uh, to weapon to not only hurt yourself, but in a humiliating way that everyone can see, and you're embarrassed. A lot like Jimmy Carter in Poland, you know. A, 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 a petard, petard is Peter. It's from French, Middle French, Peter to break wind from the root pet expulsion of intestinal ga- gas. Is uh, so what it what it really is according to the definition is a small bomb used for blowing up gates and walls when breaching fortifications. For yeah, what that's I, worth, I, I would say this thing in Alaska. You know, did you see what uh, the vice president said down in Atlanta last week about the shooting down there? Oh God, her comments could have been written. Yeah, by the Chinese premier. Yeah. America is racist. Sexist, anti-Asian, etc. The vice president of the United States used talking points that could have been written by the premier of China. Yeah, and the Chinese just fed all that right back into their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you, when I, you know, when I was on the Joint Staff and traveling with Condoleezza Rice, one of the things I really admired about her because I sat in a lot of press conferences and how those press conferences would go is foreign press would be in the room. She'd be in there with a foreign minister and someone would ask the foreign minister a question and then someone would ask her a question. And often someone would ask the foreign minister a question and maybe the foreign minister would make a quasi disparaging comment about the United States. So when she got a question, she would say, well, I just want to go back to something. Mm. And she would rebut whatever that foreign minister standing right next to her had said negatively about the U.S., and yeah, you could do a lot of things in front yeah. of her, but you were not going to badmouth the United States in public. And um, didn't really do that. He no. kind of said, we have our problems. We we're always trying to solve our problems, and you know he's very milk toastish. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, very. Uh, yeah, it made us. I think this is going to manifest itself in in at, at the very least something like we saw in the in the Persian Gulf uh, during the Obama administration, where that. Uh, that Navy patrol vessel was taken and they basically humiliated the you, you, the sailors that were on there and then let them go. But that'd be like the nicest thing that happened. But I'll tell you what, it could come from North Korea. It could come from China. Uh, you know, you know, there's a lot of what the Navy now likes to call unprofessional behavior that happens <laughs> to people who are, you know, our adversaries. Basically what they're doing is they're bogarting us. And, uh, you know, the way to keep somebody from bogarting is don't let them. I mean, it's a, you bogart him right back. I don't know, you know, um, if that's going to happen now. I just feel like uh, we've presented a, a weak front to uh, to some of the bullies of the world, and they're going to make us. They're going to rub it in, our nose in it a little bit. 
the um, did we mentioned uh, genocide or anything like that that might the Chinese might be sensitive to, or did we not go there? I, I didn't watch it. He did. He he mentioned the Uyghurs obliquely. Yeah, he, he didn't them. use the G word. That's for sure. No, yeah. oh no, oh how no, no, because that's that's an international crime. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, I had Mike Etor on um, a couple days ago, and uh, um, and we all know Mike, um, I think. Um, but we got into an interesting conversation. Um, uh, part of it about well, if you haven't listened to it, it's, it's I, I I think the interview is a great interview, um, and um, he, um, you know, what it is to lead in business, you know, in times of woke culture. So that was an interesting part of it. We also talked, uh, he coined a term in it called gonadial dissonance. That was. <laughs> I love it. That's something Tony Soprano would say. Gonadial dissonance. I love it. And he dissonance. told me, he said, look, I'm on, way, I'm on my way to footnote that, Mac. If you use it, be prepared to pay. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, lack of courage uh, among. You know, generals. And then I, I asked him, I said, well, Mike, let me let me ask you this. I said, I know you pay attention. Do you think, you know, a military led like this and focused on these things, is it capable of defeating the Chinese? And so uh, and he had a very interesting answer for that. Um, I'm not going to tell you all what it is. Um, but I'd, I'd be curious um, to get your thoughts on that. Um, I mean, because what's at stake here is, is, is not insignificant, right? The, the rules-based order and who, and, and who defines that, um, you know, uh, if we, if we cannot, you know, muster the political, diplomatic, economic, and military might with our allies in the Western Pacific, then the United States will fall back to, the Aleutian Islands, Hawaii, and Guam. And we, we will fall back to our second island chain. And they will dominate the Western Pacific and encroach in the Eastern Pacific. And so I'm, I'm curious, uh, this road we're going down, um, and, and we've watched uh, American, you know, the highest levels of American military leadership at work in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, are we on a path to be able to defeat the Chinese? Who'd like to go first? Well, Jeff should probably go first so he can't agree I should, with anybody. So I don't cheat. Yeah, the nightingale. Although I already bribed Will to tell me if you asked this. So. <laughs> but I didn't give him enough money, so he didn't tell me shit. <laughs> so, but here it is, man. Uh, you know, this is my opinion. In 1989, I mean, I joined the Marine Corps in 1975. The unit I was in in 1989 and the rest of the Marine Corps was the best it had ever been in fucking 14 years that I had been in it by far. And ever since then I was in some good units, but as a whole, we were never that good again to include me went into OIF one, you know, and so forth. And, uh, but I'll tell you right now, it's the opposite. The feeling I have now about, about how we are is the opposite. Like, uh, you knew if you fucked up in, in Lima company three, eight, the first star in the gunny was going to be in your ass. Your squalors, everything worked the way it was supposed to. It was, uh, you know, it was an organization that was bent on, you know, close with and destroy. And uh, as a matter of fact, the division was that way. 
there was other guys and other battalions who were that way. It was, uh, you know, it, that's the feeling I had then. Um, the commandant was General Gray. He was all about that. I'll tell you what, by the time I got to the base school as, a, uh, as an instructor, I'm having a lieutenant at one of those fireside chats they do in the basic school when they're doing call for fire, lecture me about how we got General Mundy is now going to, we're going to now have, uh, uh, you know, better officers who, who don't use, who don't drink beer out of the bottles and, uh, you know, who, who aren't going to piss off, you know, the, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff like General Gray, a lieutenant. I'm like, where the fuck do you get your balls to even act like you know that? Where did you hear that? Well, he heard it from one of his uh, SPCs. So it's like, but what I'm saying is, the, the feeling was palpable. I had, and I could, and I can tell you, I'm a good uh, judge for that because I came in when it sucked, and I saw it getting better and better and better. And that was, in my opinion, for the Marine Corps as a whole, the acme. And I just, I have the opposite feeling. I had the opposite feeling when I left in 2017, but now even worse because now it's like uh, there's all this like well this thing that uh, that's going on where the the Marines are being forced to have anti-white supremacy classes and anti you know extremist uh, you know briefs and they if you ever see an extremist you know make sure you you know you give his name to you know to you know your command and stuff it's just uh, it's not a good formula to fight the battle of Thermopylae or even to fight the battle of Monrovia against general buck naked. You know what I mean? This is, this is, we're not at our best right now. And a lot of it has nothing to do with material. It has to do with, um, it has to do with the inner spirit. Hmm. All right. Tim. I echo Jeff's, uh, Jeff's, uh, comments concerning the late eighties Marine Corps. It, it certainly was a, a pleasure to be serving back then. I think the Chinese could roll over us. I don't know why the hell they would want to. They don't have to. They seem to have acquired significant amount amount of power within the United States by merely uh, just dumping a few million here, a few million there to this, this professor, that professor, this institute, that institute. They seem to be already well entrenched inside of our financial and academic networks. So, so can they can they beat us militarily? Yes, they can. Not because they're all that good, because they're not, nobody's all that good as, as we know. But because I don't think we can take casualties anymore. I, I think that the the days when you when you take a few thousand uh, a few thousand in a day and say uh, like Grant said, well, we'll lick them tomorrow. Those days are gone. I, I think that any uh, the first time that we're confronted with a mass casualty situation, we're going to have problems accepting the reality of it. And there's going to be hopefully enough people on active duty um, that will say, yeah, we'll, we'll go back to focusing on the mission. And, uh, and, and I'm afraid diversity will be a casualty here. But I, I've, I have been saying for over a year now that that's what it's going to take to change things. And it's coming. It will come. I don't know where. I, I, hope, I hope I'm not alive to see it, but it's going to happen. And, and when you say it, and that means us. It, it being us being beaten, militarily uh, beaten. Be I mean, military. not just a little. I mean, like, friggin' select good. Like, like, like people feel when we get done with them. They, yeah. know, they, they know, they know that they've taken a little bit of a beating when we get our, when we get our, uh, you know, we get our, our balls up and get pissed at them. We can, we can bring a world of hurt. I think we're going to experience that. And I don't think it's going to be pleasant. I don't think we'll handle it well. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, 
you know, they talk about this stuff in the gray zone or even greater provocations and in the Western Pacific, what gives you any confidence that we would step up to, to cut that off so that we don't have to escalate? Our commitment to diversity. Diversity will help us. Yeah. Jesus will. And so, so <laughs> if we're weak on those things, then what makes you confident that we would be willing to risk knowing there's not a lot to back it up? You know, when you got 275 ships in the Navy, of which 40% of them, 30% of them can't get out of port, worldwide commitment, how many ships can you get there? I don't know what, uh, you know, how many airplanes we got and where you can fly them from as the Air Force. So we go from conceding at the micro-tactical level to not being willing to engage at the tactical level. And the only thing we got left is a strategic level. And who's going to push that button? Yeah. No one's going to push that button. No one. And so, uh, you know, Tim made a very good point, though. The Chinese can continue to do what they're doing and achieve great success. Mm -hmm. Right? We are absolutely against you building on top of these reefs and calling them islands. It's the wrong thing. It's against international law, blah, blah, blah. You know what they do? They go they build another one. Yeah, and, and tell Tom Cruise to take that flag off his jacket too while we're at it. Yeah, and so, you know, that's how I, I don't know that we're ever gonna, you know, someone a hundred years from now is gonna look back and say, oh, that's the point when the Chinese reached ascendancy, as opposed to just a long grinding. Uh, all of a sudden, you're second best. And again, when the leadership of the country, the president, the vice president, secretary of defense, secretary of state, when those people fundamentally believe that this country is wrong, that it's racist, sexist, homophobic, anti-trans, anti-this, anti-that, all of this is built on all, everything that's good about America is a myth. Well, it's hard to be a great country. And if you're not a great country, it's hard to fight someone who thinks they are a great country. And yeah. that's our problem that Jeff absolutely described. Uh, what military services right now are focused on their mission? None. The Secretary of Defense told them to focus on something else. And if mm. you're the CNO... Chief Staff of the Air Force, Chief Staff of the Army, the Commandant, and you want to go into the tank and talk about readiness of the force, requirements, you know, for the fit-up, what trades we got to make in the budget. Secretary of Defense told you, we got to stand down because we have, although the Secretary says he believes that everyone out there took their oath and believes in it, we're going to stand down to hunt down these phantoms of, you know, a, a political whatever narrative. It's horrible. And at some yeah. point, at some, in my opinion, at some point, you're going to pay a price for all of that. Absolutely. At, at when And again, Grant Newsom said this, but when you hear people testifying, 
that were in four stars, and they don't say the words operational excellence, um, but they hit every other thing that they're supposed to talk about in terms of diversity and whatnot. You know, and again, I, I don't have any problem if you, if you say those things after you say operational excellence and you talk about that. But, but again, I mean, when, when you have to be reminded, right, that your number one mission is to win wars, and that should be at the top of every discussion, right? And then we can get around to the other things too. Um, I don't, at some point you pay a price for that. And, and again, if you, if, 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 you know, you, you hear people say things like, um, we will be outnumbered in terms of ships in the region, right? <clears throat> we will probably be outnumbered in terms of aircraft in the region, at least initially. Uh, parity in space. And so, so think about that. Parity in space, so we get as good as we get. We're both substantially degraded. You know, in terms of ships, right, we take a, you know, we, let's just say we take as, and we give as good as we get, which means we get more because they have more platforms, okay? And then, uh, and let's just say with aircraft, the same thing. They're willing to sacrifice 200,000 human beings, right? And then wow. they do, then they do that, and and what is our response to that? Well, if you can't if you can't defeat it with rockets, we don't have a response. And so to, and so to me, when you look at this, um, pretty sobering, right? And I remember you know Grant Newsom also coining the phrase "cautiously pessimistic" in terms of <laughs> of uh, Afghanistan. And um, which is a, kind of a humorous humorous term. But um, I, what, you know, what, if anything, gives you hope that, you know, that, that we'll be able to turn all those trend lines around, you know, uh, in, 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 the, in the next few years? The, does the leadership that led us through Iraq and Afghanistan, does that make you feel good? Doesn't make me feel good. Right? Does the direction of the United States Navy, who couldn't put a ship out that was on fire, I, and honestly, I cannot wait to read that, to read that investigation because I want to understand why that ship burned for five days in port, for God's sakes. In right? port. Yeah, in port. When, during we, the Second War, these ships were like worse hit, hit by multiple bombs and torpedoes, and somehow these guys managed to pull it out. Jesus. Right, and, and again, and you're, and you're gonna go, you're gonna go take on the Chinese to go into that, to go into that world, and yet, and again, so I, and again, I don't know why they couldn't put it out. Maybe there's a good reason for it, but again, so, so what do I see that that reverses these trend lines that we see, right? And the, and I mean, and and now the army on its what third iteration of its physical fitness test, right? So they can continue to adjust it so that so that women can pass it at the rate that's appropriate after spending millions of dollars on the test. So to me, the, you know, the focus is, is diversity and, and inclusion. And the question is, is that, is that, is the, is the fact that warfighting excellent doesn't appear very often, ultimately, will that come back to haunt you because you've allowed your standards to slide so far that you can't, that you can't get it back? And I and and so, and Mikey answers itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I hope not. I but again, and and here's 
my problem is what I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that is, nobody says shit, man. Nobody, nobody puts their hand up and will tell the truth. That, that we're fucked up here and we got to unfuck this stuff. You know, everybody's, uh, you know, everybody, you know, you get the bobblehead thing going. And that has been, I mean, that has been the legacy of the general officers of the United States military since Vietnam. Right? When the, when the Joint Chiefs did not do what they should have done. 58,000 Americans dead. Right? And so to me, I think it's the greatest issue in the DOD. And that is the ability to, of general officers to tell the truth. And, and, you know, they all go before Congress when they're on their confirmations and they get asked, General, can you guarantee to me, can you give me your word that you will speak truth to power? Uh, yes, Senator, you know, of course, you know, blah, blah, fucking blah. And yet, how do we find ourselves, you know, in the situation that we find ourselves in Iraq and Afghanistan? And so to me, you know, what about that? Has something changed in our school systems? Right where the way we, the, where the way we train senior enlisted and senior officers, what we'd say this is your prime, this is your moral obligation is to tell the truth, first and foremost. Or am I, you know, am I another guy in the company? As we've often said, I don't want to resign because you know it's that's my political statement, and somebody else is just going to come and do the same thing. So why why would I quit? To me, you have a moral op- you, you have a moral obligation to quit. At that level, and to raise the bullshit flag, and to start that conversation, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we're just wrong and fucked up and stupid and and whatnot. But I don't see anything that makes me believe that we can take on the Chinese and kick their fucking asses, right? And and it pains me because I'm not, you know even like when we you know we talked about the fold the gap and and taking on the Russians. It's like hey, bring those motherfuckers on, man. We'll give it to them. But I don't see yeah. I don't see how that happens. So anyway, I, I I think back to my Harry Hinks story that, that during uh, the 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 very first Desert Storm when he was a he was a hawk guy anti aircraft battery missile battery guy, and they had a firing solution of what they thought was a was an enemy plane. And his his battalion commander goes, "We will never fire one of these missiles ever. Don't even fucking ask me to fire this again." And it turned out to be a Marine Corps helicopter. It, 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 the guy the, the the our anti air guys. Was said, we'll never shoot one of these unless they bomb us first. That's how much they trusted that. That's how that's how nervous they were at launching something over the horizon because the motherfucker and you don't get it back, right? You know, right? Uh, you know, we did it last. The history we do us four guys always look at. Has this happened before in history? And we always look at that and we kind of like talk about what should be done based on you know other examples that we know. Well, yes, this has happened before in history. And here's the the upsetting news is it never goes back to good. Once you get to this level, it just keeps getting worse and worse, worse and worse. And, um, you know, now the United States is a country of firsts. We've defied, we've, we've overcome, you know, the, the paradigms and the, you know, the school book solutions and stuff like that. That's our only hope. But right now, like I said, it just never goes that yeah, way. Yeah, but I, Jeff, I, I would, I would say, tell you this: we're not that nation anymore of tough people. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Right. It goes once it starts sliding down, it doesn't stop and come crawling back up. And, and again, when the 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 political leadership in charge of defense has said, "This is a bad country," 
Yeah. They don't believe in the greatness of America. Then what makes you think they'd be willing to fight for the greatness of America? If they can't, if in their public statements they go out and denigrate their own country. I got asked okay. about American exceptionalism. You know, do you believe that? What, uh, not too long ago. I said, absolutely I do. Absolutely. I said, I, I have eyeballs. I've been around the fucking world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do I believe yeah. in it? There's nobody, nobody in the, on the planet, right, like this country. Nobody. And no. I said, and if you're a woman, you should absolutely believe in it because you have every door in the fucking world open to you. I don't give a shit what anybody says. You know, and half the world, you know, when I talk, you would not even be in the room. You would not even be near this building, you know. And so to me, but again, you have people that, you know, that deride, I mean, that comment. I mean, they scoff at it. And it's like, yeah. have you never, you know, been out of, you know, your home state? Because if you spend any time traveling, you realize what a fucking miracle this country is. You know, but but again, we don't. But again, the narrative of this country, and I think we all saw it this week, you know, play out in uh, in Atlanta, right? And then it started to play out in 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 Boulder, right? And that and that was the narrative is, it's racist. And then when you have and 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 and, and who would have thought that like Bill Maher, Andrew Sullivan, who is a conservative, and uh, and Glenn Greenwald are going to be the protectors of the democracy? Bill Maher yeah. saying. Well, what if it's not racist, though? What if it's yeah. not? But the whole fucking narrative. And then Greenwald, no, it was Sullivan that counted right between the New York Times and the Washington Post, I want to say in a two- or three-day period, they, they wrote 25 separate pieces talking about that this was an act of racism, right? And Sullivan says there is no factual basis for that to be in a news article. Right. And yet that's where the narrative of the nation is. And so... Um, winners and losers for the week. We did that last week, and I got a couple emails about it. Um, Will, you want to go first? You got a winner? You got a loser? The, the, the winner is obviously Jim Beheim, <laughs> a longtime coach of Syracuse basketball. Yeah. Brings his son as a walk-on to the team. The son's a star. They're in the Sweet 16 after a mediocre season. They are the winners, not a doubt <laughs> in my mind. Losers. Um. Yeah, who are the losers? The losers are those kids that are that are in those centers down in South Texas right now. They got lured into the country on false pretenses. Uh, they're being held in concentration camps. Yeah, I said it. That's oh. exactly what they are. They're being mixed in. First, they're being exploited on the way into the country. Then they go into a place. Uh, and I can only, if, if this administration is so hell bent on preventing congressmen and reporters from getting in there, you can only imagine what those holding pens look like in there. Uh, they're the losers. Uh, wow. Well done. Jeffrey. Yeah, I guess I'd say, uh, the winners, I, for, in my opinion, are those, um, the uh, the students in Hillsdale College there, you know, um, they, uh, you know, they the, they they keep hitting homers. You know, what I mean, that the whenever you hear about them, you don't hear much because it's a good news story. You know, it's uh, or, or I'm I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Although the Hillsdale's people are good too, the Prager University, 
that's Dennis Prager's uh, brainchild, where you can basically there's a university that's online, but you can get these little um, YouTube videos of uh, that are truthful education, and you can get it. And I'll tell you, it turns uh, it turns people around who've been you know victims of our uh, of our university system and our and our secondary education system. So I'd say them and uh, losers. Oh my God. The panorama is huge, <laughs> but uh, I'd say the losers would be um, um, Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, who came out and said that uh, we should uh, support this new law that makes it easier to vote. In other words, no no uh, voter identification. So at the same time, the latest polls come out, instead of going the other way, more and more people in the United States of every nationality are saying, oh, no, you should have to show your ID before you vote. Awesome. And so to me, that makes that shows the divide we got in our country. We have a we have an aristocracy, a self-appointed aristocracy and everybody from uh, Chelsea Clinton to, you know, uh, the you know, our, the Congress, you know, to uh, the the. The, the government agencies, the three letter, letter agencies and stuff, they're, uh, they think this thing is switched around. We are here to, to obey them, and they are there to, to uh, tell us what to do. And uh, I think that uh, – and maybe they'll lead to, you know, to us having a better military in the long run, but we don't have a, long, a lot of time. But I think that's one encouraging thing. The more that they see the Democrats running things themselves – the less impressive it is. Got it. Timmy, winner or loser? Okay. Uh, winner. Winner for this week would be Wang Yi, state, state counselor and foreign minister of China, who uh, in an epic, had an epic uh, moment here with uh, at, in Anchorage. And uh, and actually he's been continuing uh, as he went through, uh, went through uh, Asia, uh, meeting with the Australians and some other people. While at the alt at talking, basically talking uh, trash, talking us the whole time. Loser this week would, of course, be Anthony Blinken, who had a who had a, a hit album in 1970s, 1997. <laughs> he had he made the he made the top charts some, some kind of bubblegum thing. He was a he was a little rockster, little rock, little heartthrob rockster. But now he's a diplomat because he was a money launderer. I forget he's something, but he's not that bright when it comes to dealing with the Chinese. He's a loser for this week. I don't. I don't have a winner. I can't. I can't think of one. Uh, my my loser of the week is is our American journalist, who I, I would recommend. Uh, you know, do a search on Andrew Sullivan and check mm. out his work and uh, the article that he wrote. Um, American journalists have completely turned their back on their profession and its historical significance to the democracy. And it has been replaced with the narrative, right, that, that grabs facts as necessary to support the narrative, and it's hurting the democracy. It's hurting the national discussion. And they, in my opinion, they should be ashamed of themselves. And, uh, and I don't know how much, and again, uh, what's the guy's name? Arthur Salzberg that, that owns the- Pinch, Punch. Sol Pinch, yeah, Pinch Solberger, the one who's Pinch the Solzberger, yeah. heir to the New York Times who right, runs it now. Right. He, Dean Bouquet, 
who's the editor-in-chief of the New York Times, ought to be ashamed of themselves. Jeff Bezos and the shit the Washington Post writes ought to be ashamed of themselves. I mean, when, when, when what you write in, in what would most Americans would say are, the, are some of the leading newspapers in the country is garbage, right? That's embarrassing. That's absolutely positively embarrassing, and it impacts the democracy. It's not just like the Washington Post impacts the greater Washington, D.C. area because that's where its circulation is anymore, right? It impacts the nation, and I, and, and, and I, and I believe they ought to be absolutely embarrassed themselves. And again, if you, if you haven't bookmarked Glenn Greenwald's stuff, you know, he's a liberal. Read his stuff. His, his stuff is facts-based, right? And you may not like all of it, but again— I mean, God, God bless him. Um, and if you're a Marine, you know, Chris Tavuchis wrote, uh, wrote an article uh, where he says composite artillery battalions uh, are not the way to go. I'll read you the headline here. Uh, the case against composite rocket artillery battalions. In fact, Chris, Colonel Chris Tavuchis, he's my winner of the week. Right? There you go. There the, you go. This is the first article I've seen that takes on. You, uh, you said you didn't have one. You're I know. I lied. No, I didn't lie. It Boy. took me a while to get to it. But again, this is again our commitment to the institution is supposed right. to be the commitment intellectually to a rigorous debate, not to nodding right. our head and saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. And Chris Tavuchis is one of the first people I've seen in print to take on the commandant's plan. Okay, And I just want to commend him for it because first, he's a friend of mine, but I, I wouldn't give a shit if this guy was an enemy of mine. He'd still be my winner of the week. So he's my winner of the week. All right, what are you uh, what are you reading, Jeffrey? Um, I'm still reading the Twelve Lives of the Caesars, which is very good. Got him, Timmy. What are you reading? I'm reading Fighting Through: Five Years in Afghanistan by a, a contractor by the name of John Ratcliffe, an Australian guy who I know, and uh, and and so I'm I'm uh, I, I am not endorsing it yet. It's it's so far it looks interesting. I've got to get to the part where he's talking about me, though. Make sure I uh, make make sure it's make sure it's a decent read. Once I get through that, I'll tell you whether it's a thumbs up or thumbs down. Because I mean, I John and I had some rough nights. I don't know. It could come out either way. Yeah, I don't know. Not to see. That's why I'm reading it though, is I know the guy. All right. Will. Yeah, I read two books this week. Uh, first one called "Bones of My Grandfather" by Clay Bonnyman Evans. Bonnyman's grandson uh-huh. from Tarawa. Yeah. No. Really Ex- explain explain to everybody who who the so Bonnyman uh, Lieutenant Medal of Honor winner on D plus one on Tarawa um, takes the big blockhouse that been holding him up. Really interesting book because it's uh, it's him discovering who his grandfather was. You know, Bonnyman thirty two years old when he enlisted, and he's a wild man. Uh, went to Princeton, got kicked out, um, goes west, gets involved in mining, uh, hard drinker, gets shot outside a bar one time. Uh, wow, that's up, fucking interesting, man. Yeah, ends up getting commissioned. <laughs> that's my kind of guy. Um, and he's he's uh, he's in like a pioneer. I'm not sure if it's a pioneer company or battalion. Eighteenth Marines, right? Right, and. Uh, and then the, the legend of what happened to him on Tarawa. And what's really interesting about the book, him discovering this, him discovering how the Medal of Honor was awarded. First, he was awarded a Navy Cross. And it was upgraded 
a couple years after that. And here's another interesting thing. Tara was, what, November 21st? Yeah. So, so the battalion commander, I think on December 27th, recommends Medal of Honor. Division commander approves December 29th. Uh, the three-star approves like in January. Nimitz approves in April. Kamana approves in May. So six months from execution of the event to approval at the four-star level by two different four-stars while they're fighting the greatest war in the history of the world. Yeah. Um, and, and what's your point? But then, yeah. Then the other thing that's interesting years, about yeah. this is about excavating Bonnyman's remains. So he writes this sort of parallel story about what his grandfather was, paralleling him going with these people in, I think it's called Freedom Flight, Honor Flight, one or the other, who eventually locate his remains, fighting through DOD bureaucracy the entire way to do it. Wow. Uh, so, good book. Bones of My Grandfather, Clay Bonnyman Evans. Second book I read was The Majestic Adventures of Henry Hudson by Noel Gerson. I'd never read anything about Hudson. Yeah, great story. You know, 1600, early 1600s, found Hudson Bay, Hudson River. Eventually, mutiny, put off the ship, never heard from again. <laughs> and, uh, and then a book I just picked up today called The War That Killed Achilles by Caroline Alexander. Trojan War. Caroline Alexander thing. wrote The Bounty. Ah. So I, I'm pretty sure you've read that, Jeff. Right. So this is yeah. This is just about. Uh, I think it's going to be really about that war and how it reverberates uh, mm -hmm. through history and warfare. I just started it today. So the amazing um, thing, none of that shit was written down. It's just word of mouth. The Iliad and the Odyssey was just, yeah. you know, Homer, you know, and it's still around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I did this week. Yeah, not no poker games going on, so I had a lot of reading. Done. How, how is the poker? Uh, would you say you're you're getting better at poker? The more you play, are, are you are you are, have you plateaued? Do you learn more? Yeah, the the I think I am getting better because the best game I play in is is a tougher game, and I I do better in that game. But the thing with poker at small stakes is there's wide variance. You know, you can be an 80% favorite to win and you still lose. And you don't win eight out of every 10 times. You might lose 20 in a row, even though you're an 80% favorite. That's how it goes. And that variance can catch up to you. And the other games I play in is a very stale player pool. Um, so I'm really hoping that the other casino here opens up in town. Well, the only casino that's open is like 35 minutes away. You got to wear a mask. It's only six handed and it's kind of a drag. But there you get a variety of player pool. But I play See, one Will's, game that's very good. Will's opponents in both those things have been listening. And this is all, he's put a whammy on them. <laughs> They're going to be, oh, fuck, I got to change the way I hold these things or something. It's like uh, that movie Rounders with, uh, with uh, you know, Matt Damon and uh, what's his name? Uh, Play that, pay that man his money. 
At some point, at some point, I mean, I think you need to get Timmy up there and take him and show him the joy of poker because he seems to be, you know, anti-poker. No, what I got to do is. Are you are you are you anti-poker, Tim? No, no, no. Texas called the Texas Card House. I got a couple in Houston, one in Dallas, and one in Austin. Go on YouTube and look at that. And those are insane, wild. I need to get down there and play with some of those guys. Oh, so no. you're gonna go? You're gonna go to Timmy, and then you guys are gonna go. No, yeah, but he's no, like, you come down here to play chicken shit bingo. That's what we that's play it. down here. <laughs> Take Timmy up there. You have him pretend to be like John Malkovich with a Russian accent, and then you guys, between the two, no, you don't know each other, and you know. I, I walked into that damn Summerlin Casino when I was working at Front Sight when we were teaching nights one night, and we've been drinking. And I got, I, craps is my game. I started playing craps. And the next morning, I got up at like at one o'clock in the afternoon. I stayed with my friend. He comes in and get, I said, I had this dream. I won like a shit ton of money last night. He goes, look in your pants. I, I won like $5,000. I, I was on fire. And over the course of time, I paid every penny of that back and more. Because I always thought I was going to be able to do it again. No, it's going to be 11 this time. Here comes the yo. Boom. It's so oh, shit. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I lost so much money trying to regain that one night. I don't even hardly remember. It's fucked up. That's I don't I don't gamble anymore. I'm frustrated yeah, yeah. with the whole thing. Yeah. My, oh, yeah, I never did though. So. Yeah, I never did. My well, I did. Uh, I lose the second. Poker's not gambling. Poker's a game of skill. Craps is gambling. Well, then for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, craps is gambling. That's for damn sure. I lived in Sacramento, and uh, so maybe you know ninety minutes on a slow drive up to Tahoe. Right, go across the state line. You're in Nevada. Uh, take a girl. I'm in college. I'm in junior college in Sacramento. Take a girl, uh, and we're going to see, we go see America in concert at Harris North Shore. And so we gamble afterwards. We play roulette, and uh, I vividly remember I was bagging groceries. I had a good job in like 1977, 1978. I was bagging groceries. I was part of a union. I was making like $6.75 an hour, right? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, I was making big money. And so that's more than Tony Monero made in 1977. Exactly. And so <laughs> I remember losing, drinking for free and losing, and the little dude with that little fucking stick on the roulette table, he reaches over and I'm like, "You know how many paper cuts are involved in that stack of chips you're fucking pulling away from me?" I'll never forget that. <laughs> And so we go home, and then I get up the next morning, and I'm probably getting ready to go to school. My mom's in the kitchen, smoking a cigarette, right, with, drinking her cup of coffee. <laughs> and she said, do you have fun last night? And I said, yeah, it was a great time. America was great. You know, the place is beautiful. She goes, yeah, those hotels on the North Shore, man, those are awesome. She says, who do you think puts those up? I'm like, I don't know. And then she looks at me, and she takes a drag off her cigarette. <sighs> she said, suckers like you. And I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, what? My mom called me a sucker. She said, look at those hotels, okay? Do you think that's a winning proposition that they're engaged in? She said, it's not. She said, if you want to see nicer ones, go down to Las Vegas. All that money comes from suckers like you. And, you know, and, and I've never. And they're unborn every minute, according to P.T. Barnum. Right? And I've never, I don't. And not that I that I was that hooked on gambling that night because I wasn't, but uh, yeah, my mother calling me a, calling me a sucker. <laughs> so, but you know, Will, you're a smart guy. You're a Naval Academy guy, for God's sakes. What is the attraction of 
of gambling to you, knowing it's a losing proposition? Is it no, 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 no. Poker's, the... Poker is different. The house is is not. The house takes a small percentage of every pot. It's not like it's not like casino gambling, like slot machines, uh, roulette, dice, where there's a big house advantage. That's that's where you know you got a problem when you yeah. start denying you, you, you have you, a problem. Right you there. might there you, you might oh, have a, you gambling. might you might have a problem if you just you, you, you just actually you just be, deny that it's gambling. You can actually be a winning poker player. Is there a pot associated with this? Is there like wagering? But you're not wagering against the house. Well, that's the exacto knife line we're going to draw right now. That's not an exacto <laughs> knife line. That's a Grand Canyon. <laughs> there you have that's it. a grand kid. Look, if you ever wanted living testimony that Timmy's right, when Will has a problem, you just heard it, right? A man, <laughs> a brilliant man in denial, right? Do you want to yeah. say anything to your parents who are both weeping right now, Will? <laughs> no, my dad is my dad is just, you know, he just ruse the day when uh, he wasn't able to go play cards two or three times a week like he did when he was younger. So you are a chip <laughs> off the old block? Uh, he was probably a little more mathematical than I am. Oh, really? So does he yeah. ask you about your card playing? Like, does he yeah. gi- does he give you the wink and say, "How you doing there, son?" No, no, because it's also it's a different game now. How? Yeah, he, they, they didn't have this game when he was playing. Oh, really? Yeah, Texas Hold'em was not popular. What game did your father play? Oh, they played draw, stud, those kinds of things. Really? What's the most intriguing yeah. part of gambling? Well. Um, well, again, there's math to it. The, the fundamental is math, but then there's also psychology and there's a lot of psychology involved in how people bet. And I'm not talking, you know, how they move their chips or how they unscrew the Oreo. Just you're sending people messages as you're betting and trying to ferret out what the message is and trying to ferret out. Does that message make sense? The, the, the best the best feeling you get is when you figure out that someone's bluffing and you call it and you're right. Uh, it's better than bluffing yourself and no one calls and you get it through. It's better when <laughs> yeah, you figure out that someone's lying to you and you call them on it and it's right there in black and white. That's the best feeling at the poker table. Really? Yeah. And part of it's math. Part of its psychology, part of its game flow, you know, uh, you figure it out. Game That's flow. That's what Reagan said about the Russians in 1988, and he was right. They're bluffing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have shit. Those tanks suck. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. We should maybe do a gambling minute every week. Well, you, you, uh, downright. Good idea. Downright a few. I don't gamble. I play poker. Yeah, there you go. Whatever Will calls what he does. Yeah, you, you so. might, you, to quote Tim, you might have a problem. And that's what we'll call the segment. You might have a problem. You might, might have a problem. <laughs> will, go ahead. Wax eloquent. All right, boys, thank you very much for the visit. All right. All right, All right man. See yeah. you guys later. Yep, later. See you guys. More of All Marine Radio coming up next right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.